This is the Canes Corner Podcast with host Adam Gold, part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Now here's the host of the Canes Corner Podcast, Adam Gold. Welcome to the Canes Corner Podcast. I am Adam Gold. It's been a while, hasn't it? We got a lot of stuff to get to tonight. We're going to talk to Corey Lavalette of the North State Journal. We are eight days away from the preseason home opener against Tampa. Hurricanes have just four preseason games. They'll be home on the 28th. That's a Tuesday. Then October 5th, uh, that'll be against Nashville. That's a Tuesday. They've got two road games uh, not on uh, Tuesdays. Uh, and then the opener on October 14th on a Thursday uh, as we get this sucker cranked up. It's here. we got a lot to do. What we're going to do, we're going to talk to Corey Lavalette, then we're going to take a uh, very, very brief time out, and then we're going to come back with a preseason series entitled, I'm making this up, Meet the New Guy. There's a lot of new guys. So Ian Cole will uh, be first in the hopper, and we're going to try to get to as many of the new guys as we can before the start of the season. Uh, so a couple of things we're going to talk about with Corey Lavalette are, is, this, is it possible that this team is better today than it was when the season ended back, what, June the 8th, was it? Either the 6th or the 8th. I forget which one. Is the team better today than it was then? Um, I will tell you up front, I think it is. At least on paper, we haven't seen a play yet, but I think it is better. Uh, we'll talk about why it ended, not just... Not just when, but why it ended the way it did against Tampa. And uh, then we'll kind of just kick around the Jesperi Kotkaniemi and uh, maybe does Carolina have to protect itself against somebody else doing to them what they did to Montreal, stealing, buying a good player because Kotkaniemi is a good player. Uh, so there's a lot of things to talk about. Goaltending, defense, who plays with Jacob Slavin. Is that Tony D'Angelo? So we'll do all of that with Corey Lavalette of North State Journal. Then we'll break and we'll talk to Ian Cole, brand new member of the Carolina Hurricanes. Guy's name is on the Stanley Cup twice with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Hurricanes have two guys like that. The other, of course, is Jordan Stahl. Uh, so without further ado... Let's get this sucker cranked up, shall we? I cannot believe how close we are to the start of everything happening all over again. Corey Lavalette, North State Journal. I mean, didn't the season just end? No, no rest for the weary, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, I do feel like it just, uh, it just came to an end. So, I, actually, I want to start there. What are your thoughts... On, you know, we're separated now by what three months, roughly, maybe more. I, I I can't add very well. So, what are your thoughts on last year, uh, and why it ended? Not just when, but how. Well, um, obviously, Tampa's a, a really really good team, and um, you know, I, I know teams played them closer than the Hurricanes did, but um, that's a tough. So that's a tough matchup for anyone, and that that team won't be as good this year as they were were the last two years. And um, but I think the Hurricanes learned a lot about themselves. They learned um, 
you know, which of these young guys they think have a, have a chance to make them winners. And you can just tell by what, what happened with the roster, you know, uh, they let a couple young guys go and, uh, uh, brought in maybe some more, you know, brought, obviously brought in some young guys too, but brought in a couple veterans and maybe the kind of signings that this team didn't have in recent years, they seemed pretty content, you know, letting young guys, uh, get their shots when, when, you know, when the opportunity arose. And right now it almost feels like maybe they'd rather have uh, veteran guys to, to call up or, or populate some of those, uh, mm. you know, lesser roles. And so I think they learned, I think they learned a lot. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's still going to ride on, on the main guys, <laughs> but, um, but, but, you know, I, I think they learned that maybe some of the, the, the pieces around the edges maybe weren't, uh, weren't, weren't what they needed. Uh, as far as some of the young guys, it's it certainly it's uh, it's a very good, very young, but still very experienced core group of players. Um, is, in a way, is the way it was talked about, you know, right after the fact. I mean, Carolina probably was the better team in Game One. Didn't get anything out of it. Uh, Should have scored early. Didn't. Andre Vasilevsky was the difference. Um, the, the game that they won, they probably <laughs> weren't the better team in that game. It's just kind of the vagaries of the sport. Um, but, I mean, they were close and could have won two or even three of those games. And maybe it's a different series. If you win game one, you give up a bad goal. Um, but I never got the sense that they were really that close to Tampa. And... Even though I think Carolina was probably better than the Islanders, uh, than uh, certainly better than Montreal. Although I don't think Montreal was really ever in that series at any one, at any for any second. Um, maybe Carolina just I think because you you kind of alluded to it, the makeup of that team might have been uh, a little bit. I mean, soft is not the right word, but just not not ready for that. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. Maybe a little starstruck. Um, and, and, you know, you mentioned, you know, the, the game one goal, uh, which is one that Alex Nadelkovich would want back. And then uh, and then game three, you know, you, you cannot if, – if you get a chance to to beat Andre Vasilevsky on a bad night, you oh, have gosh. to do it. And Peter Morozik was not good. And I think we learned that the team said, well, these aren't the guys. Um. And I, you know, I, I think the Nadelkovich thing is maybe more layered than that for yeah. sure. But, um, you know, I think they looked at it and they said, if we have to turn over this whole goaltending tandem, then so be it. But, you know, they, they lost that series, you know, in a, in a big way because of goaltending. Those two right. games, uh, were lost in the net, I think. And, uh, you know, that's, 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 that's the difference in a series often. It's funny. I talked to Alex a couple of days after the series was over, and I was struck by his level of maturity and accountability. I I love everything about Alex Nedeljkovich. And you say, you're right, it was layered. Um, In my conversations about Ned and the organization was one of, they never really believed in Ned and they didn't believe him in him before last season. 
they felt like maybe as great as he was, and I mean, he was the rookie of the year, or well, rookie goaltender of the year, wasn't the rookie of the year. Obviously, we. Um, um, he was goaltender of the year for the AHL, right? Not even just rookie, but but goaltender of the but, year, right? But yes, he was. But they never truly believed, and I think that the playoffs was more confirmation bias for them. That okay, even even though he was awesome, I I would argue that even while giving up some goals and some goals that he wants back. It could have been far worse against Nashville had he not played, made as many great saves as he did. But I just feel like they just never really believed in him, and that's fine. Um, I actually think that there's there's a fair chance that uh, Carolina is, at worst, the same in goal. And I think their ceiling is probably significantly higher in goal going into this, this season with Antiranta and... Um, uh, Anderson and Freddie and yeah. Freddie Anderson. Yeah. I mean, is what? W- what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I I haven't really understood the the. I don't I don't know if you want to call it national since we're talking Canada and the U.S. and I'm probably talking about Canada, but uh, this this national media idea that the Hurricanes got worse in net. Um, you know, Frederick Anderson has won a crap ton of games. Yeah, and he's played on good teams. Sure, I mean that that Anaheim team was good uh, when he was there, and then uh, obviously the Maple Leafs were good, and he wasn't good last year. But what are you going to bet on? Are you going to bet on one year from a guy that otherwise you looked at and you were like, well, you know, I, we don't, we don't know if he can be an NHL guy for uh, a whole bunch of years with one year of Anderson not being good. Um, you know, I don't think. You know, he totally lost everything that made him a good goalie. And the Hurricanes have a way of making goalies look good. I mean, what what goalie has not looked good behind this team outside of Scott Darling, who is completely out of the league? Like, uh, you know, I mean, they, they made a, they made a, and I hate the Zamboni driver right. <laughs> uh, terminology, but they, they've made every goalie they've had look good. I mean, James Reimer wasn't great last year. The numbers weren't great, but they still made him look good a lot. Yeah, of time. They did. Um, so when you take Anderson, who I think is a, a really talented goalie and a, a big, big goalie, you know, they haven't had a guy like this since, since Scott Darling, who was that big. And then Anthony Granta, who I think is probably a top five goalie in the world. If he can stay healthy, right. if, he, if he could ever, if he could ever stay healthy talent wise, he's, spectacular um but you know he's never seemed to be able to string it together for other than for one season just because it's a constant injury thing with him Mm -hmm. so uh you know you roll the dice on him but he's your backup and um you know i think again frederick anderson has proven he can carry a load um so uh it it should be it should be uh interesting to see i i i guess i I'm, i'm with you that that it's it's a wash at worst and there's a potential here that I mean, if if we're talking in in eight months or whatever, and say you know Frederick Anderson's a finalist for the Vezina, are you surprised? No, I behind mean, no, I, not I, behind Carolina's defense, not at all. I, I would I probably wouldn't be surprised, and only one of the four goalies we're talking about has ever gotten Vezina votes. By the way, Ian Morazic 
never gotten a Vezina, Vezina vote. Right. Only Frederick Anderson has ever gotten Vezina votes. So there's only one guy here that we're talking about who has ever reached any kind of top-level NHL goalie status, and that's, that's Frederick Anderson. Uh, I, I'm not sure who who votes for Vezina. I know you voted for the Norris last year, and you gave a vote to Brett Pesci. Did it, uh, am I correct? Yes. I think I was the only person in the world. So. You're, you're one of the smart ones. You're one of the smart ones. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I, look, I, I am admittedly biased, but I love Brett Pesci. I love everything about his game. We're going to get to him. Uh, in a second. So let me just, Corey Lavalette, North City Journal, is here on the Canes Corner podcast. And pretty soon these will become morning afters, and I'm uh, I'm dreading the lack of sleep already. Um, uh, Brock McGinn, Warren Fogle, Dougie Hamilton, who we'll talk about, uh, Jake Bean, Morgan Geeky, Ned, Peter, out. Um, yes, Barry Kotkaniemi, Derek Stepan, Ethan Bear, Ian Cole, Brendan Smith, Tony D'Angelo, uh, Freddie Anderson, Antti Ranta in uh, depth as they have depth at all levels of their uh, of the roster now. In terms of guys who are on two way deals, who could go, who could come up and get you out of a week or two weeks um, where they didn't have it before. So Maxime Le- Maxime Lejoie doesn't have to dress in a playoff game. No offense to Maxime right. Lejoie, who was not offensive, but obviously uh, they, he was just there to to give some guys a rest, not really to make an impact in the game. And there's other guys too. Um, can you make an argument that even with, and I'll just specific, specify the loss of Hamilton, that this is a better team today on paper, of course, because we haven't seen them play than they were a year ago. I, I mean, I think I wouldn't be surprised if that ends up being the case. And, you know, the big thing in this is going to be Tony D'Angelo, and I'm glad we're using his name. doesn't seem like it gets used everywhere. Um, <laughs> he who shall not be know, named. He's not yeah, Lord Voldemort uh, as much as people want to make it out to be. Um, you know, for everything that went on in New York with him, I think, you know, this this might be a last chance for him. And by all accounts from everything I've been told, he's fallen in line. You know, uh, everybody wanted to get all worked up about the vaccination thing. And, um, you know, and Mike Sondheim said it in a, in a tweet last week that he, you know, he didn't have, there wasn't even a a pushback or anything. He just went and did it. Um, I think that's going to be the key. Um, at least on defense is if he can be 80% of Dougie Hamilton, then, um, at least offensively, mm-hmm. then I think uh, I think things fall into place pretty well. I think Ethan Bear is a is a really good bet. Um, I, I I I do not understand what Edmonton did on the defense this off season, but um, I think that's a good that's a good bet for them. Uh, Ian, Ian Cole is a, I don't want to call him a fire hydrant because he's not short, but that's a big guy. Yep. I mean, he's two twenty five, and he's gonna. He's the kind of guy who is not going to get moved out of, from in front of the net. He's not going to get moved out of the corner. You know, the way Jake Bean got thrown around in the corners by Pat Maroon in the playoffs, uh, that will not happen with Ian Cole. It, it certainly won't happen if Brendan Smith is playing. Um, so a, a little more snarl back there that, that's maybe been lacking. I know people thought that Joel Edmondson was was that. I mean, I think Joel's a, a physical guy, but I don't think of him in the, the Brendan Smith mold, mold right. of being a guy who really – can be rough and tumble back there and tough. Uh, Joel's tough, a tough guy, but that's not his priority. Brendan Smith maybe is. 
I think, you know, I think maybe it is a better team. It's, it's going to hinge on a couple guys, just like it always does. I think the guys that are uh, key parts of the team, as long as they don't get hurt, are going to be fine. It's going to be the D'Angelo's, the, uh, the Kotkaniemi's, the, you know, can, can Nino Niederreiter be, be good in a presumably a third-line role? Um, you know, stuff like that, I think, is what, what it's going to come down to. All right, let's talk about a couple of guys. You mentioned one just a second ago, but we're going to uh, set him aside because Tony D'Angelo is going to be a focus. And this is not so much about Tony D'Angelo as it is who plays on the top pair with Jacob Slavin. Uh, I think you said something to me, uh, it was probably on this podcast, right about the time, maybe right after the season ended, that maybe Tampa is telling us a lot by how they deploy their best defensemen. In, in other words, not playing together. So they've got three elite guys uh, in Hedman and McDonough and Sergachev, and they don't generally play them together. Uh, they, I mean, it's not like Sergachev doesn't ever play with Hedman. He does, or McDonough, he does. But for the most part, they just separate them, and they let each of them play with somebody else. So I don't think we're going to see Pesci and Slavin together, although we will at times in games. So who gets that spot that Dougie Hamilton is vacating as he goes to New Jersey? Who gets, who plays top on a, on a top pair with Jacob Slavin? You know, my gut tells me that it should be Ethan Bear, and I think that the reason for that would be is that you have more of an investment in Ethan Bear than you do in Tony D'Angelo. And uh, I think Ethan Bear is a better all-around player right now, too. Mm-hmm. He may not be ultra-productive on offense, but he has that ability. He's got a good shot. He's willing to, to, to jump into the play. All the things the Hurricanes like, um, you know, he'll, he'll do that at least as well as Brett Pesci would do offensively. Um you know, and I think Brett, you know, you mentioned my vote for him, and that was a big part of it was Brett, Brett's offense was, yep. was really good last year, I thought. Um, but to me, I think that makes the most sense. Um, but if you need, you know, if they find they need more offense from the back end, you know, certainly Jacob Slavin is going gonna, is gonna to clean up any issues that, uh, that, that his partner will have. We right. learned that, you know, in the Dougie Hamilton era. Uh, and really the, just the Jacob Slavin era. So I think uh, you know they could they could run Tony D'Angelo there if they want to. Yeah, they, they, uh, Rod Brindamore loves options, um, and uh, having Ethan Barron, I, uh, you know, when they made that deal, and I I I was always I they were going to trade Warren Fogle. They didn't. They they had made their mind up on Warren Fogle, and it this might have been a year in the making, to be perfectly honest. Um, and, a, and part of it had something to do with uh, him only having a one-year deal this past year, uh, thinking that he was, you know, at least in terms of his production, better than he actually was, uh, not just a, a foot soldier with some upside. Uh, I think he looked at himself as somebody who can play on a second line, and at times he could. Uh, but for the most part, you know, he just never... That one series against Washington was essentially the Warren Fogle experience. I always wish he had leaned into not being, you know, kind of a, a potster, but, well, why not? Why not lean into being a potster if, if, if that's what your size and aggression tells the world you are? Why not? He just, he didn't have the personality, you know, to, uh, to actually lean into that. And I was, I think they were disappointed in that. 
I hope he I hope he plays well for Edmonton because I think he if you're six three. 215 pounds, and you have some skill, you should probably be better than a 30-point guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I've said that a long time about Warren. If he just didn't have the mentality to be that kind of guy. And, you know, I for everything that Brock McGinn did well here, and he was, you know, he's the perfect do, do things the right way type of player. That's something that he lost as an NHLer was that kind of gray area play. He was he was a borderline dirty junior player. <laughs> he had a couple, uh, couple, a few suspensions. Oh, Brock, uh, and yeah, he, yeah, yeah, Brock. And uh, you know, uh, you know, Brock kind of lost that too. And now the, the next generation of that is Jameson Reese, who is uh, just a terror to play against. Yeah. And I'm curious to see what you know. You know, you always you need guys like that, right? Yeah. Tell this story all the time. When my kid played soccer, he was a little guy, and he kept, you know, he'd be fighting for the ball and he'd be elbowing the kids in the chest to get the ball. And I said to his coach, I'm like, hey, I don't want to say anything because you're not going to listen to me, but he's throwing elbows out there. And she's like, you know what? I, I can't teach that. <laughs> like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to discourage that because if he plays and he, he didn't end up playing, he said he played hockey. Uh, he didn't end up playing soccer, but, you know, he, you know, she said to me, if, he, if he's gonna, if he's already got that in him, I don't want, he's going to need that down the road. And that's, it's just, it's not something you can teach, right? Warren Fogel is a good guy. And I mean, you can, you can be a total ass on the ice and still be a good guy for sure. Right. But, um, you know, I think Warren's a, a good guy on the ice. He's more reckless than, uh, than, than mean, I would say, you know, the times he's gotten himself into those situations, right. he's maybe just a little out of control. So, um, yeah, I agree totally. I think that that, that was a. I mean, a, what happened a, with TJ Oshie was more reckless than uh, than mean spirited, uh, which I right. don't know. Maybe that's why Washington didn't beat the hell out of him uh, the next time uh, they played. Um, all right, first of all, I'm going to miss Brock McGinn um, at two point seven. Maybe that's a little high, but it ain't that high. Uh, for McGinn based on uh, how tough he is, but maybe that toughness wanes as he gets into his mid to late 20s or late 20s now. Uh, how did you uh, how'd you like what they did with Jesperi Kotkaniemi? I, I mean, you have you have the money to do it, uh, the cap space, um, you know, for all of the Tom Dundon cheap talk that everybody wants to throw around. He's He's not cheap when it comes to the the salary cap, and they had salary cap room, and um, you know a really really talented kid. And uh, I, I, I tweeted it out a while back. I don't have it right in front of me right now, but he had only played more than I think it was fifteen minutes, something like twenty two times in his career. Right, and that's just a disservice to a young player that you're trying to develop into a top six player. Meanwhile, Svechnikov had played something like 100 and, 120. Right. Um, it, it's, it's a, you know, there's one thing when you get the, the Zach Boychuk situation where you're forcing a guy. And, you know, maybe Montreal did force Kotkaniemi that first year. But, you know, second year, third year, you know, you gotta, you got to carve out a role for a kid like that and let him play. And, you know, the Hurricanes have been good about, Hey, you're a young center. Let's start you on the wing, Sebastian mm-hmm. Ajo. Let's start you on the wing, Martin Natchez. You know, and now Kachimemi. Let's, you know, he's going to be on the wing. It sounds like. Um, and it, you know, I think it's a it, it's an interesting move. He's a uh, he's not the, the greatest 
skater in the world, but he's a smart player. Uh, he's, he's got the frame to be a, you know, he's already a 200 pound guy. He's got the frame to be even bigger. Yeah. Um, you know, bigger than, than Trocek is. Uh, so it'll, uh, I think it's going to be really fun to watch him. I think the pressure is going to, is going to be off a little bit compared to Montreal, even with all the fervor around all this and the money and all that <laughs> stuff. Uh, there's a good security blanket here, you know, with, with having at least, three guys from Finland on the team with him. And, and Sebastian Ajo has gone through this exact scenario pretty much other than the switching teams part. You know, the offer sheet, the big deal, the expectations that come with that, uh, the expectations of going, you know, becoming a, a, a legit NHL center, all those things. I mean, he's got a, a ready-made guy that can that can talk him through this. What, so, what, uh, I, I, what are the chances we ahead. see fins to the left, fins to the right? <laughs> Uh, with Kakaniemi playing with Aho and Teravon. I mean, I think it'll it, it'll surely happen at some point. Um, you know, I you know I think Fetch is a is a really really underrated passer, and he could you know I think other players will benefit from playing with him too. So for as as great as that uh, SAT line is together, um, you know there are going to be times where if things stall out in the in the other three lines, you could. You know, you can easily, you know, move Svechnikov down, and uh, he could he could uh, ignite a line too. So uh, he's gonna, you know, he's obviously an X factor this year all around. It's, it's two, how how he performs. Two more quick things for Corey Lavalette. Uh, first of all, uh, based on the Kotkaniemi offer sheet and the angst and the trolling, which I've said this before, I found entertaining. Uh, I get why people thought it was off-putting. I didn't understand Jack Todd losing his mind over. Uh, he needs to understand how the offer sheet process works. If you want the player, and the Hurricanes demonstrated that they wanted the player, then you must overpay for the player in restricted free agency. Uh, it was clear that while Montreal can say they wanted Sebastian Ajo, if they really wanted him they would have paid him $10 million, not 8.45 or whatever the number was, because Tom Dundon, at, if the threshold had gone higher, Tom Dundon probably would have let Aho walk if the number got out of the realm of possibility, but he was only slightly overpaid uh, at roughly 8.5 at that point. Um, now, Kotkaniemi is grossly overpaid, but that's what you have to do. Uh, but there were a lot of people who were really angry. So now, how fast would you sign Martin Natchez to a contract extension so nobody offer sheets him for $8 million? Um, I mean, I, I think it's, those are talks that need to happen, but... Um... You know, the Hurricanes aren't going to be in a bad cap situation, and that's what the, the corner that Montreal painted themselves into. You know, they, they went and, you know, thought, oh, well, we've got all this extra cap space because uh, Shea Weber's not going to play. Let's go spend it. And then didn't think things through, obviously. Um, so I, I wouldn't worry about it too much. With with Trocek and Niederreiter's deal coming off the, off the cap, there's not, you know, uh, an urgency in my mind to – you know, be too worried about it unless somebody is, you know, going to go and make the kind of offer, like you're saying, that's going to cost you, you know, a couple first round picks, you know? I mean, I think they obviously want to have Martin Natchez. 
Um, but I wonder if uh, I, I wonder if that would happen for you know would happen for a winger, a guy who's a winger right now, unless you, you're absolutely sure he's a center. That's why I don't think anybody has made a move on on uh, on Brady Kachuk. Uh, I, I'm a little surprised that something hasn't happened with Elias Pettersson, but yeah, uh, but uh, you know, as, as a center, but he had a bit of a down year last year with the injuries and stuff. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that's you know, I don't think all these GMs are suddenly going to get brazen and start throwing <laughs> that stuff around. Um, and you know, I like I said, they're going to have the cap room unless they they drastically alter what they have right now. The uh, the roster basically looks pretty much set, barring an injury. Uh, Seth Jarvis either makes the team, which I doubt he will, uh, or he goes back to junior hockey, which, again, this is two years in junior hockey that Seth Jarvis probably didn't need. It would be great if he could play in the American excuse me, in the American Hockey League, but he can't. Uh, so it looks to me like, uh, barring something just otherworldly, uh, that Seth Jarvis will end up uh, back with the Winterhawks. Um, but is there any other, you mentioned Jamison Reese, is there any other young guy that you could see the- theoretically uh, making the roster? A Jack Drury, a David Cotton, a Jamison Reese? A- anybody? Uh I, I mean, maybe if there's an, an injury situation, I think that that's a possibility. Dominic Fox, the guy to watch, uh, just because he's a bit of a, a natural scorer. Uh, to me, I wonder with guys like Drury and Cotton that are more uh, middle of the lineup guys. You know, are they better suited just getting better than right. you know when when you have when you have skill when you have this this high end skill like Dominic Fox has or like Seth Jarvis has, then maybe. Uh, you make it impossible for the team to not to not give you a chance. Um, whereas guys like Drury and Cotton, I think you know Jack Drury is going to be on the, the Brock McGinn plan. I'm pretty sure where he'll, you know, they'll they'll cook him nice and slow in the AHL and maybe <laughs> give him a, a taste here and there, and um, and then bring him up. Uh, you know, there's a. I think that's probably what will happen. Is is like you said, the roster is pretty set, and there are a couple veteran guys that I think are, are good, good plug and play NHLers if you need them. That you know, Stefan Dosen and uh, uh, even Maxim Basunov is a you know interesting, interesting guy. Um, so, you know, Andrew Podorowski, we know he can play <laughs> in the NHL if he needs to. Potsy's back. Um, Josh Levo is also uh, capable of playing. Yeah, well, I think Josh Levo is going to be, you know, could very well be in the starting lineup on, on day one. We'll see how they, how everything shakes out. But he could be a, he'll, he'll be on the roster either way. I think he'll be a 13, 13 uh, forward if he's not playing. But is this team actually going to carry an extra forward and an extra defenseman? I think they're going to have to yeah. this year, just with just with COVID stuff and protocol. Even if you're vaccinated, you know, right. you just don't know. And there's r- rumors around now about. You know they might allow, uh, you know, a goalie taxi squad again. Um, so, and they certainly have a good guy for that. Uh, you know, a guy that you're not trying to develop as your number three. So, Alex Lee, um, right? So, um, uh, you know, I, I think you, you kind of have to. I think, and they, you know, the Hurricanes kind of want to get higher up into the cap anyway, just with the way long term injury works, right? the more you're over the cap, the more space you get. (laughs) So carrying two extra guys uh, isn't the end of the world for them, you know, because then they're going to go and put Jake Gardner on long-term injury. And, um, you know, it actually buys them more space. So 
uh, long-term injury is a really weird, really weird thing. But uh, uh, I think that's probably what, what will happen. It worked for uh, Tampa. Final thing. Uh, give me a prediction on 2021-22 for Andrei Svechnikov now that the the burden of playing for a contract is behind him. Well, assuming we play 82 games this year, um, which I hope, I, I think we, all this stuff is in the past, these 50-game seasons. Yeah. Um, I think he scored 30 this year. I really do. I think he's going to score maybe, well, we'll say 31 goals. How's that? 31. Uh, and, and be a, uh, you know, be close to being a, a point-per-game player. Maybe a, a mid-70s a mid-70s guy, I think he's going to have a monster year. I mean, it, it can't I, – I think he's, I think he's going to be a, an absolute superstar. And I, I know some people have their doubts after how last year went. Um, but I think, uh, you know, they said he was healthy. I, I don't know that he totally was, to be honest with you. Um, but I, I think he's going to have a monster year. Everybody I talked to said that uh, – because, first of all, he's always the happiest guy in the room. I love – uh, th- th- he just exudes happiness, and I love that about him. Hit, right? Him and Stephen Lorenz, right? The two <laughs> of them. Yeah, they, they could be the uh, the new dynamic duo in that regard. Um, and I, I mean, I'm not saying that Svech wasn't happy last year, uh, but the people I have talked to just think that he didn't necessarily handle the pressure of playing for a contract very well, and. Hmm. Um, and not not everybody likes that feeling. There are guys who who in their walk years basically uh, just go nuts and post huge numbers. And I think maybe Andre put a lot of pressure on himself, and that pressure's off. And he settled. I mean, I think that there is a there is a fifty percent chance that that contract is a bargain in three years, an absolute flat bargain in three years, to the point where people are around the league going to go, there. That's all they're paying him. You know, maybe not quite to the the degree that we deal with Brad Marchand or uh, uh, Patrice Bergeron or even David. They're, they have, they're all on bargain deals. David Pasternak, um, Alexander Barkov's Nathan deal McKinnon, is crazy. Yeah. Right? Nathan McKinnon, right. Those, I mean, those are insanely low deals. But, so not quite to that degree, but I think Svech has all the ability to be a $10 million a year player to get him at Less than eight? That's, I mean, that's just incredible. So, yeah. And I, you know, I, I think it's going to be a, a big year for him in a lot of ways. You know, it, he was, you know, he was really close with Warren Fogle and Dougie Hamilton, and both those guys are gone. So we know Special loves hockey. And I'm not saying that those guys were a distraction to him getting ready to every right. night because we know Svetch works as hard as anybody. Yep. Uh, it, you know, on the roster. Um, but I, I, I'm curious about how he matures this year. Um, you know, without those two guys there and then the contract stuff done, like you mentioned, and uh, just getting a year a year older, a year stronger, uh, getting back to what is going to be a normal NHL again. You know, so many of these guys have, have, have you know, he's played one season that was a normal NHL season. <laughs> right, it's cr- it's, it's crazy to think, but he hasn't he hasn't experienced really anything other, other than that first year. He he hasn't experienced hasn't had the full NHL experience. So, 
uh, he's going to walk into a lot of buildings this year, and those teams aren't, aren't going to be that familiar with, with him other than on film. And they're going to get a dose of, of what what his talent is, his strength, his, his shooting, all of that stuff. And uh, I think he's going to make a lot of teams that maybe haven't seen him for a year look look pretty bad. Can't wait to watch it. Uh, and I'll see you very soon, Corey Lavalette. Uh, we will be at PNC Arena. It, we are recording this Monday evening uh, on the, what is today, the 20, 20th of September. Uh, happy fall to you in two days. Uh, but a mm-hmm. week from tomorrow is the preseason home opener. Can't believe watching yep. hockey in eight days. Crazy. Crazy, crazy. But let's do it. I'm ready. Let's go. All right, I'll see you on the fifth floor. Thanks. Quick break. Then Ian Cole will join us on the other side uh, on team number six in the NHL. As part of my brand new series, which I just made up today, uh, get to know the new guy. Uh, Ian Cole joins us brand new to the Carolina Hurricanes, a defenseman. Uh, who is now uh, with his uh, sixth NHL team. But, man, you have played in some great NHL cities, and we are going to talk about that. Um, First of all, welcome to Raleigh. I'm sure you've heard all great things because nobody would tell you bad things about Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, How do you like it here so far? I'm sure you'll love it. Uh, Yeah, you know what? It's been fantastic. Um, You are correct. No one has said a bad thing about it. Uh, Everybody I've spoken to that has moved here from various parts of the country has said that Raleigh is absolutely fantastic. And, uh, and I've only been here a week, but I'm starting to feel the same way. Oh, so you've been here a week, family, uh, family settled in. I know you have a little one. What is it? Uh, what is it like adjusting to new surroundings with, uh, a young child, uh, and, a uh, just a family trying to make a transition? Yeah, you know, it's always tough. It's always stressful. You know, moving is always, uh, you know, kind of a logistical nightmare, especially, you know, selling a house, buying a house, doing all that. But, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, we're able to get through it well. Um, the little guy does not care the, in the slightest. As long as he can run around and play hide and seek, he's uh, he's happy as a clam. So, um, you know, it, it, it's been good. You know, we're actually getting into our house, uh, you know, uh, this weekend. So, That'll be nice for an Airbnb right now here in Morrisville, which is great. Um, so, yeah, everything's been good so far. Uh, you know, it's, it's close to the practice ring, so I can go in there every day, which is great. Um, but, yeah, the transition's been good so far. How many guys are uh, are back practicing already? We almost got the whole team. Um, and we had a little recovery day yesterday, which was nice. Um, so I haven't seen the guys so going in today. But, yeah, I mean, pretty much uh, everyone is uh, – Sorry, I got a fire truck going by right now. It's quite all right. Fire trucks are one of the staples of life. <laughs> exactly. I'm hopefully going to help someone. <laughs> um, so, uh, but no, I, I think it's great. Um, it seems to be a lot of guys in town, and uh, you know, we've been skating together for the most part as a team um, for about uh, two weeks now, week and a half. So, yeah, it's been great. So, uh, you're, I, I assume it's a son uh, that is uh, playing hide. I don't know why I'm assuming it's a son, but uh, playing hide and seek. Uh, are you good at hide and seek? Well, you had a 50 50 chance on getting it right, so that was good. Um, yes, it is a son. Um, and and he, does, he loves hide and seek. He just runs around all day, loves playing on the stairs, which we're 
trying to, hmm. uh, you know, kind of trying to change that behavior a bit. <laughs> like either go up the stairs or down the stairs. You don't play on the stairs. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's been uh, he's been awesome. I mean, you know, I'm 32 now, so kind of basically geriatric for the hockey world at this point. <laughs> um, but uh, but you know, as far as life goes, you know, I still feel pretty young. So it's, I feel very fortunate to have a to have a little guy at a you know a pretty young age be able to play with him and and get a ton of time this summer and, uh, you know, kind of watch him grow up, which has been fantastic. I'll tell you, um, I, I, my, I have a 13-year-old, just turned 13 yesterday. And wow. we, yeah, and it keeps you young. And uh, we had him when I was uh, about, what, 42, which I, I don't know how good you are with math. You can find out, figure out that I'm 55. And so it keeps me young, and I coach a soccer team and all of that, and, uh, so it forces me to stay kind of active. But you are uh, maybe geriatric for the hockey world, but you are significantly younger uh, than I am. So let me get into a couple of things with, uh, with you here. How does an Ann Arbor kid go to Notre Dame? I mean, with the, with the reputation of Michigan hockey. And I think they have yeah. the first 19 picks in this uh, most recent NHL draft. How does an Ann Arbor kid go to Notre Dame? How does that work? Yeah, you know, I um, I defected a bit, <laughs> um, but it was uh, it's kind of a I'll, I'll go through it quickly. But it was a story that kind of uh, spanned a couple of years. Uh, Michigan had me in freshman year of high school. Hey, we're really interested. Really interested. Think you're a really good player. I would love to have you come to Michigan. Okay, great. Keep working hard. We'll get back to you. Okay, awesome. Um, in that meantime, that freshman year of high school, Notre Dame had me in and said, hey, we want you to be a cornerstone of our team. We really want you to, you know, be here, and, and we're going to fully commit to you. Like, here's a scholarship offer. I'm like, whoa, wow. totally blown away. But in my, in my head, I'm thinking, you know, why would I ever want to go to Notre Dame? Like, I'm going to Michigan. What are you talking about? Like, I'm not going to Notre Dame. <laughs> Um, in the next year, year and a half, I, I sat on the scholarship offer. I got scholarship offers from everywhere else in the Midwest, um, you know, Wisconsin, Miami, Ohio, Michigan State, um, all these other places. And, um, you know, uh, in that time, went back and back to Notre Dame, you know, a handful of times and just fell in love with the school, the university, um, just kind of the feel of it. It's such a very collegiate feel, right? It's not like in the city. It's, it's very kind of closed off. You go through the gates. There's no roads through campus. You walk or bike everywhere. Um, and I love that. It was great. It was very different from Ann Arbor, uh, University of Michigan in that sense. Um, and in that meantime, you know, uh, Michigan stayed in contact. We just kept saying, hey, we're interested, we're interested, but never actually offered a scholarship. Um, so basically, I sat in the scholarship in Notre Dame for a while. Uh, and uh, Seemingly, from my point of view, Michigan just thought I was going to go there regardless because I was an Ann Arbor kid. And my dad was mm-hmm. like, well, uh, you know, I'm not paying for you to go to school. If they don't make a scholarship offer, choose somewhere else. <laughs> um, and in that, in that time, uh, I fell in love with Notre Dame. So, uh, you know, it, it just kind of got to the point where, like, all right, well, if Michigan's not going to step up to the plate here, then I'll go to Notre Dame and be very happy with it. And, um and I'll say it was one of the one of the best decisions of my life. I absolutely love Notre Dame. It was absolutely fantastic. Great experience. Great school. Great hockey team. Um, so yeah, no, it was it was a very very good decision. So very happy with it. So your fallback school was Notre Dame. As a kid, uh, when I was applying to colleges, I think my fallback school was the University of Delaware, which is fine. Very similar football helmet to Michigan, but. Uh, not they quite, do. <laughs> not quite the same academic uh, rigor. 
uh, as maybe well, you Well, I'll have... tell you what. It, it, <laughs> it started out as a fallback school and then came, became number one option, uh, and Michigan became a very distant, like, fifth at that point. So uh, it worked out very well. Let's just say that. Uh, there's, there's no doubt about that. Uh, it is interesting, man, because uh, we know Michigan and Notre Dame not necessarily friends. There's, there, there is a rivalry there, uh, but, uh, but good for you. And certainly that gold helmet doesn't, uh, doesn't hurt. You got to play in a Frozen Four, uh, which is cool. I know it doesn't necessarily compare to a Stanley Cup uh, or playing for the Stanley Cup, and you won it twice with Pittsburgh. Uh, but uh, it, explain to me what the thrill is like of playing in a Frozen Four uh, as a college kid. Yeah, no, it was it was fantastic. I, um, you know, I was I, I played in that Frozen Four my freshman year, so that was a pretty uh, pretty awesome experience. Kind of just getting there uh, and going right into kind of the kind of going right into the fire there right away, um, and uh, awesome experience. Um, really kind of helped you uh, adapt quickly, right? You know, you're going into very high pressure situations as an 18 year old kid. Um, and, you know, fortunately I was into some, I was playing a lot and they were using me in a ton of different situations, uh, which was great. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it was, it was one of those things where, uh, you know, I think anytime you can learn, you know, younger, the better to manage that pressure, to manage those situations, to manage, uh, you know, how hard it's going to be, you know, only translates well. And I think that, you know, you mentioned the Stanley Cups, um, you know, you get going in those situations and you don't even think about, holy crap, this is going to cut finals. So you're just like, man, just another game, just keep going. Um, and I think that's a very beneficial, uh, you know, mentality to have. Ian Cole is with us as we are getting to know the new guy. Uh, so let's, let's transition into some uh, actual hockey stuff here with the Hurricanes. So uh, what is your familiarity with – uh, players, uh, I, and I'll get to Rod Brindamore in a second, but uh, what drew you to Carolina? I know you had a good year in Minnesota, and I think initially that's where you wanted to be, but uh, this certainly worked out, I think, very well for Carolina. Uh, so how did this whole thing come about? Yeah, um, you know, I was in Minnesota. loved my time there. loved the guys there. Uh, great experience. Um, and, and, you know, initially we had, you know, love to go back there, um, as things kind of progressed free agent wise, uh, showed that, you know, maybe that wasn't really going to be an opportunity, unfortunately. Um, you know, and it basically got to the point where free agency opened up, uh, and we were able to start talking to teams and Carolina came and said, Hey, we're, we're really interested and we want you to be a part of this. Uh, and I think as a, as a player, you know, once you get used to winning, you want to continue to win. Mm-hmm. The idea of going to play for a team that has no chance of winning is very unappealing to me. Um, you know, you, you go in Pittsburgh, very winning team. Colorado, very winning team. You know, Minnesota had a great year last year, uh, even to start my career. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in St. Louis, they were picking us when I was there to, to win Stanley Cups. You never did, never really came close. <laughs> but initially, you know, you know, we had a very good team. Like, I think you just get addicted to winning in the sense that you don't ever want to go back to a bottom feeding team. Or I wouldn't even know what to do in that situation. So you want to go to the best team you can. Uh, and certainly the, the Carolina Hurricanes checked that box for me. Um, you know, they're one of the top two, three teams in the East and a very real possibility of, uh, of winning the Stanley Cup. And that's the situation you want to be in as a player. 
And there's also a, a couple of guys who uh, – one is no longer underrated. I don't think Jacob Slavin is underrated anymore because when people keep saying how underrated you are, obviously people start paying attention. But I think Brett Pesci uh, would fall into the category of an underrated player. So you're going to a core uh, of still relatively young – uh, blue liners um, with uh, with an incredible reputation and a high ceiling. Yeah, and I would tend to agree with you. I I, I don't see these guys as underrated anymore. Right, <laughs> you get to the point where you're you know one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference for two three years now, and people start going, "Oh, these guys are are really good. Let's let's get these guys on TV and let's watch them." <laughs> uh, and I think you kind of see that transition over the past couple of years with this team and. Uh, I know around the league, uh, the guys that you just mentioned are very highly thought of, um, and I think it's only a matter of time before, you know, everyone outside of Carolina feels the same way. All right, now talk to me about Rod Brindamore and your conversations with Rod. And um, I've known Rod a long time. I knew Rod as a player, uh, and now uh, having been, uh, you know, covering him as an, first an assistant, then a head coach, I know what Rod is about, but. Uh, what was uh, what was your reaction talking to Rod, and uh, how has that progressed? It's been great. Uh, you know, I spoke to him uh, pretty much right away as soon as I signed, um, and everyone talks about how great of a guy he is, and, and I think that's very accurate. Um, you know, it just comes off awesome. Um, and I, I think that that's kind of where this, this family aspect in this team really comes from, and it starts from the top. And, you know, I think that he, he builds that culture and he kind of demands that culture. Uh, and you see that uh, in how much the guys in this team, you know, both like and care and, uh, you know, want to succeed together, which I think is, uh, is fantastic. So, Are you at all concerned that Rod will score higher on the fitness test than you? Um, well, I'm certainly uh, – the whole point of this summer was to make sure that wasn't the case. <laughs> <laughs> I, it may happen. It may happen, but gosh darn it, I'm going to try to make sure it doesn't. That would not be a reflection on you, by the way. So, well, just, I would take it as as one. <laughs> well, uh, that that's probably okay. But uh, Rod is look. There, I don't know if you saw the picture from uh, from the bubble up in uh, up in Toronto a couple of years ago, uh, but they were playing frisbee. And Rod did not have a shirt on. And I, Rod's probably uh, mad at me for even bringing this up. And he has, like, 0% body fat. I can't uh, – he's 50 years old, and it's <laughs> – frankly, it's annoying. Uh, all right, let's, let's get into a couple of, uh, a couple of other things. Uh, the, uh, the captain of this team, Jordan Stahl, also a former Penguin. That's certainly a good idea. He won a cup there as well. Uh, I joked with him after the season about – uh, you know, the possibility that the media would come back into the locker room. And I said, come on, you really missed us, didn't you? Uh, and Jordan played it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we didn't miss you. You have a reputation of being, and, and this conversation has already been fun for me, but you have a reputation as being uh, a guy who is fun to talk with. So uh, that has really waned over the last couple of years for obvious reasons. So what are your thoughts on uh, the way the access for media works, uh, do you like it? Which is you're not you're certainly not going to insult me because I think it's a lot easier for players. Yeah, no, I mean I, I think that it was more of a 
you know, uh, a necessity, oh, yeah. I guess let's call it. Just trying early. to keep people alive. Um, exactly, which is always a good thing. You know, people <laughs> alive is better than people dead. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I mean, I think that it's been, you know, nice that you can just get undressed right away and leave the locker room. Um, that being said, I don't necessarily view, personally, I don't view the media as an obligation. I think it's just, you know, people you have conversations with and you talk about it and you go your, go your way and right. let them do the job. So um, I don't view it as a burden or, or an obligation. That's just the way I look at it. Um, so I don't mind doing it. Uh, but also as far as being able to get to, the, get to the gym, get your workout and get home at, you know, 11 or 11.30 or 12 o'clock at night, uh, there's, there's some positives there too. So uh, which, however they want to do it, I'm fine with. Uh, you know, the Zooms are fine. You know, we can rip through, uh, rip through stuff pretty quickly there. So uh, I have no real preference. However, uh, however, it works out best for for everyone else is fine by me. Yeah, let's uh, let's make everybody as happy as possible. Happy people are better than not happy people. Ian Cole, <laughs> and it, and alive, and alive, <laughs> and alive. Yeah, the added benefit of uh, of staying alive and out of the hospital is such a good thing. Uh, what's your impression of some of the Canes? I hate. I mean, Sebastian Ajo's young. Andrei Svechnikov is young. But these guys have been around the league for a while. Uh, this is year six, I think, for Ajo. This will be year four for Svechnikov. What's your impression of some of the Canes' young, uh, you know, I'll just say superstar caliber offensive players? Well, I, I've, you know, watched them afar here for a couple of years. And even though they're young, their development has been on a very steep curve. Um, and I think you'll only continue to see that to, you know, get better and grow and mature. Um, you know, I think we have a great leadership structure here uh, in terms of the personnel uh, and the uh, caliber of player that we have here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, uh, you know, that will only bode well for the future. Um, you know, they have a very young, talented core, which is what you always want to see in a team on the upswing. And, um you know, and I think that uh, everyone in place here, from the players to the staff, uh, will continue to guide and and help uh, those guys grow and become even better players. So, it's uh, it's exciting. This will be in the category of low hanging fruit uh, questions, but uh, I I just I am curious. You have played in some great fan environments. You mentioned St. Louis wasn't close to winning a Stanley Cup, but that is an environment. Uh, in St. Louis that, I mean, it's just electric for players to experience. And then Pittsburgh and uh, Colorado and Minnesota, obviously, although last year was kind of weird because uh, we had sporadic, you know, just kind of gradually growing fan attendance throughout the season. We only got to here in Raleigh, although in the playoffs, I think we did get to a full building. Uh, But what is it, uh, you know, your – whether you've played in a in a PNC arena that was jam packed or not, um, the what does that environment do for you as a player? Well, to be honest with you, I've, I've played in PNC arenas that are packed and PNC arenas that are essentially empty. Yeah, <laughs> I've kind of uh, you've been around long enough, and you you kind of span the gambit there. Um, a lot of red seats in a couple of those games, but um, I think for the most part that the fans in Raleigh have been great. It may not be as large as, you know, say, you know, Pittsburgh or Minnesota or something like that, but the seemingly the, the knowledge that they have, uh, the intelligence they have about hockey, uh, how dedicated they are to the team and, and it's, 
you know, formation and its uh, standard and its values, I think is, is very admirable. Uh, and, you know, I just got here. I don't know super well, so I'm kind of uh, speaking off the cuff, but sure. uh, it's certainly something that is exciting to me and, and I'm excited to get to know them and, and hopefully they're excited to, to see us play and then get to know me. So I'm telling you, uh, the, I, the, the people that I speak with and my own personal feeling is that uh, you're going to be a tremendous addition here. Wait till you check out the tailgate culture. Uh, it's so it's sort of like when hockey meets college football. It's that uh, it's that much. The parking lots are electric. You'll see for the opener uh, next month what that's like, and then when the playoffs roll around, the place is just uh, an absolute madhouse. Let me ask you one more uh, one more kind of. Um, it might not pertain to you, but you experienced the World Junior Championships. You were a two-time member of the uh, WJC team uh, back when you were a developing young American player. Um, Olympic hockey means so much to players. Uh, what do you think uh, the Olympics means to the NHL players specifically? Well, I think that um, what it means to guys – uh, probably differs based on the country that they're from. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it probably means more to, let's say, a Russian than it does to, um, you know, I don't know, maybe a, a German. I don't know. Okay. Just throwing that out there. Don't know. Uh, I just know that the Russians are very adamant about it. Um, that being said, I think across the board, it is extremely important to a lot of guys to get to, to have the ability to represent their country on a national stage or international stage. Um, and I think that it's one of those things that guys really were, uh, really wanted to be a part of, um, you know, I know the last, last go around, uh, you know, it was tried to, to use against us in uh, CBA mm-hmm. negotiations. And, um, I think rightfully the guys were like, no, we're not essentially paying you to go to the Olympics. That's right. ridiculous. However, I think that, uh, everyone was able to come to come to come together in this situation for this, for this games and, uh, and, and make it work. Um, and that's obviously the, the IOC and the IHF and the insurance and all these things yeah. that play into that. Um, but uh, generally speaking, I think that it is very important to guys uh, across the board. And I think that uh, them being able to figure this out, them as you know, a whole bunch of people, uh, them being able to figure this out and, and make it happen, I think, uh, you know, one, gives the guys that are going a chance to represent the country, which is huge. Uh, and, and quite frankly, it gives the guys that like uh, that, like myself that are not probably going uh, a nice little break. So I think everyone uh, everyone benefits from it. What will what will you do with that break? Will you watch Olympic hockey, or will you go find a beach somewhere uh, in the winter? Well, I think that my my plan right now is to just work out and try to get as as jacked as Rod. <laughs> Good luck with that. I mean that's that is aspirational. Uh, if uh, if I ever have ever heard something. a little a little three week training camp, uh, get ready for the playoffs. I think Ian Cole is going to be a regular pregame, postgame guy's got a lot to say, thoughtful, fun, enjoyed it, uh, and uh, can't wait to uh, actually, as he said, meet in person. Which again. Happens very, very soon. Uh, first preseason game at PNC Arena a week from Tuesday, a week from tomorrow. We're, t- again, taping this Monday night, uh, so September 28th. 
after uh, after the Ryder Cup is over. I am Adam Gold. This is the Canes Corner Podcast. Until we do it again. You've been listening to the Canes Corner Podcast with Adam Gold. Don't forget there are many ways you can listen to this podcast, including streaming at WRALsportsfan.com, the WRAL Sports Fan app. And you can also subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, and TuneIn. Thanks again for listening to the Canes Corner Podcast.